Welcome to Creative Life Hackers. My name is Ruthie. And I'm Lisa. We're your hosts. In this podcast, we provide you with creative inspiration, support, and community on your journey of building an independent and creative lifestyle. Join us for talks with artists, musicians, gig workers, entrepreneurs, and people who are actively authoring the stories of their lives. We explore how they leverage their creativity in the pursuit of their dreams and share what they learned on their path to empower you on yours. We're letting go of limiting narratives, taking our power back, and creatively life hacking. Welcome back, everybody. Today we are chatting with Ellie Matthews, and she is a woman who goes for what she wants. And when appropriate, she does not take no for an answer. So she has used this to create a career for herself in music production that's grown and expanded into uh, working with the instigators. And so we talk about that journey and artist gloves and production claws and the different ways to relate to people depending on which part of the music industry you're in. We chat about how she's working on interior design school and exploring creative ways to merge all of these things that she cares about into this beautiful, unique career path. So stay tuned. This is a great one. I think you'll feel really inspired by Ellie. Oh. All right, today we have Ellie Matthews. She is a, um, has been a previous tour manager and technical director, manager of the Instigators. She's a sustainability enthusiast and she's a current interior design student. Um, she has been living a very creative lifestyle. I feel like I've gotten to watch her creative um, journey bloom a lot in the last several years and so I'm excited to talk about kind of how that has looked for you and what it has felt like and where it's going. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Yeah so Ellie I'd love to start at the beginning of your creative journey. I know that um like when you first got started working in the music industry, that was like a big part of it. But what what was your creative life like before that? When would you say this started? <laughs> wow. Um, I've always kind of been the kid that was like glue and shit on the other shit. You know, I was very, <laughs> um, I was always decorating things and always just being weird. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think like, I really started to get into it around, well, I want to say second grade. Mm-hmm. I, um, they offered, it was really weird. It was, um, I went to like an inner city school and they offered this after school class where you could um, do pottery. So we essentially like made things out of clay and our teacher was this like really cool old black dude with long dreads and like he had a really thick accent and he was really, really cool and really inspiring. I I don't, I don't, but I remember exactly what he looked like. He always wore like, um, he had his hair wrapped up all the time and these really Mm -hmm. cool scarves. (laughs) Um, And so I made this duck. Um, It's, 
super ugly. I still have it, actually. I'm sorry, <laughs> um, it was great for a second grader. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's a full-size duck, and you can, like, put, like, a plant inside the middle of it, oh, and then <laughs> I made it look like my grandpa because he loved ducks. <laughs> and it had a little pouch on the front where I made a little baby duck, which was me sitting in his little pouch. Yeah, it's... adorable. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to send you a picture of it. Um, it's really wow. cute. When he You're creative genius <laughs> yeah, yeah that, those are levels of like analogy for second grader for real that's, for real. It's that's really deep. funny when he died it was the only thing that I got <laughs> he showed up on my doorstep his wife like she didn't like me very much she like threw yeah. it on the doorstep I woke up in the He's morning like, oh, there's that my... ugly duck. <laughs> and there's <Finally>. my duck <laughs> it was really funny oh um, my god well <laughs> so, you know, at least you got your duck back. Yeah. I did get my duck back, and it's on the front porch, um, so everybody can see it when they yeah. walk in. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, where it belongs. Exactly, on front and center. <laughs> um, yeah, so I remember doing that, and that was my first time really doing art. Um, and ever since then, I had kind of, you know, in uh, middle school and high school kind of gravitated towards art classes. Um, I used to act. Um, I did a couple of musicals in What musicals did you do? Uh, we did um, Grease. Nice. And then we did this thing. This was my favorite. Um, it was called Nomt, and it was Night of Musical Theater. Uh-huh. And essentially, they would just pick really awesome numbers from a bunch of different, there's probably like 12 to 20 numbers depending um from a bunch of different musicals and uh we would perform them and just one after the other and it was really cool and you just wear pretty much all black and then yeah uh so that was really cool because you got to like you know flex your musical muscle and all these different uh realms and um basically yeah you got to have a taste of each one and that was really cool um so yeah I used to act and I did all that and then uh in high school I did uh AP art um which I I loved being around all the artists but I hated uh having my art judged (laughs) it was not something I was into to the point where um Mm -mm. for my final I like uh I I basically put my middle finger to my teacher. She was really upset. Um, for my final, I made like a really kitschy version of the solar system where I like put glitter all over it for the stars. It like looked like a, you know, third grade project. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was the art in itself, you know, it was me yeah. being like, screw you, this, everything's it's good a art. statement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She didn't like that very much. Like grading art is yeah you can come up with some type of conceptual explanation for a lot of stuff yeah and so I was always pushing her on that like I would make things that I knew like to me they're not something I consider to be like amazing but I did it because I knew I could you know bullshit a concept out of it and show her like oh well everything because she used the word tried a lot and I really don't like that word I don't think that it's conducive Mm to um letting your art flourish so uh, she was always calling my stuff trite so I would make obnoxiously trite things to (laughs) show her that it could be art too so um that's where that started yeah I similar things with our teachers (laughs) that's amazing yeah so that I think that's like 
that's pretty much where the beginning of, you know, I've always kind of just been a creative person. I've always thought in those creative ways and um, working backstage really didn't come about until I, uh, when I moved schools in high school, I, um, I was just not in a place to get on stage. I didn't want to be front and center. I was really shy. Um, and so, but I wanted to be involved. So I went to the teacher and I was like, hey, I want to be a part of this, but I don't want to be on stage. Is there anything I can do backstage? And she offered me the stage management position as my first ever backstage thing. And I was like, sure, yeah, I don't know what that means, but I'll try it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where that ended up. And I just kind of, it spiraled on from there. Yeah, I can see how that's come through in your organization skills for <laughs> the projects you've worked on. <laughs> yeah, well, so so that was stage managing for theater production? Plays. Or, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it was, was Pippin. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. I loved it. That's one of my favorite shows I've ever worked on. So... Tell us about some of your journey from there onward into the music industry and kind of what that looked like for several years, because that's a very kind of creative, um, you know, it's just a different type of lifestyle that a lot of people don't even realize is a thing um, that people do. And so I would love to hear what that looked like for you. Yeah, um, so I actually, I went to Cornish uh, for a semester. (laughs) Um, college? Yeah, it's an art school um, oh. in Seattle. Okay, yeah. yeah. I'm so from the South that, that the references are lost on me. Yeah. yeah, it's actually one of the only programs for specifically like performance production in the way that I wanted to do it. So um, yeah, it was it was a really great program. I mean, I learned how to weld, which was super badass. Awesome. Um, that is I, badass. Yeah, if <laughs> I could afford it, I would have gone just for that vocational training. Mm-hmm. But it was just a really expensive private art school. And um, as I started going there, even though I loved working with my hands and I loved building the sets and everything, I started to realize I didn't want to work um, in theater. Uh, the atmosphere there was just a little too, um, it sounds funny working at festivals, but it was just like a little too much for me. Yeah. Um, the people you were dealing with were very boisterous people and I'm a, you know, very calm kind of, uh, internal person. Um, yeah. so I just didn't want to, it was hard for me to connect with a lot of the people that I was working with in theater. Um, mm-hmm. and around the same time I had been going to raves and, uh, going to, um, events and festivals and I remember I was at Freak Night uh, 2013 I think um, and I was I was sitting on the side of the stage just cooling off and I see uh, this dude in all black with a radio on uh, and I can tell what that he's stage managing like just based on my knowledge of what I used to do in theater and I like I turned to my boyfriend at the time and I was like next year I'm gonna be up there you just watch and so um yeah in my determination I mean I started like promoting a couple random shows I started to just like kind of get my foot in the door any way that I could how did that Um, happen did you just like send an email and be like hey I want to be a promoter 
I would straight up just pick up flyers that people would dump. So like a lot of the times promoters, they'll pick up boxes and then they'll be like, oh, I can't pass all these out. And they dump them on the side of the like, you know, and so I'd pick them up and then take pictures of myself while I was doing it and then post those. And so I was just showing like, hey, I'm doing the job, whether or not you're going to accept the fact that That's I'm doing it or not. Art. I yeah. love it. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then I basically bothered the crap out of um, the guy who owns USC um, to because they were at the time the biggest uh, company in this area that was doing one of the things that I wanted to do mm-hmm. until finally it took like a year um, before mm-hmm. he finally he was like yeah come in you know it's just chat and I went in and he asked what I wanted to do and I told him I wanted to be a stage manager and he laughed at me uh, <laughs> he goes you know that's the hardest job right I was like, yeah, I mean, you know, and he was like, you're on your feet for like 12 hours at a time. And I was like, yeah, like, at least let me try. And so um, he called this guy into his office and it happened to be the guy that I saw walking down the stairs um, on at Freak Night 2013. Uh, His name is Max. And um, he means the world to me, by the way, like my my whole journey is um, he's in the middle of it. So it's really amazing. Uh, Yeah. And I'll never forget the look on his face when he told him that I was going to follow him around for a couple shows. And you could tell he was just like, great. Another like (laughs) another raver who thinks they want to make this their career. Um, but yeah, so I just kind of, I followed him around for a couple shows, um, Freak Night 2014. I was up there on stage with him, um, and that was really amazing. And yeah, so that's kind of where all of that started, is I just kind of basically <laughs> steamrolled my way in there. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> what you gotta do sometimes. I showed up and, you know, they yeah. I think made myself invaluable. Before that, like, or would feel like rejected or like start to feel like insecure and then talk themselves out of doing it. Like, why do you think you didn't do that? You just wanted it. I, yeah, and I just, you know, I, I had a really rough, um childhood you know I I grew up like we we lost our house like I I grew up in in an environment where I had to be tenacious like if I wasn't I would not have survived Mm -hmm. and so I think that to me somebody's gonna give you the chance you know like somebody's gonna say yes and you might have to get a thousand no's before that but you know eventually you're gonna be in the right position to prove yourself and that's what happened with Max really is that I mean, Max clearly did not want like to have this. I was, I think I was 17, 18, yeah, 17 at the time. I was underage, I remember. I was 17 <laughs> at the time. And I'm just, he's like not very happy about having this like girl following him around. Like you can tell he's like, this is bullshit. But I worked my ass off. Like I was covered in dirt and like the oil shit that's all over all the chains and everything that they'd be rigging with. And I was just so excited to learn. And I was making a hundred dollars to work for like 17 hours. It was ridiculous. But I did it because I wanted to (laughs) prove myself. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it ended up paying off because Max paid attention. He's one of those very like you know, quiet, like, in the corner watching, observing everything, um, and, yeah, he's the one that ended up getting me, um, my tour managing gigs, and has really, uh, helped me grow into the manager that I am, because he is very stoic, and very, has taught me how to, um, 
you know, pay attention and be aware of what's going on and what people need around me. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> So um, you're you've been making hats, and yes. I think even your your creativity with the hats has like flourished in just the time that you started making it. What does that feel like? Um, it feels really amazing because as somebody who, especially working um, in like backstage stuff and being a manager, it takes a lot of creativity to think in those ways to problem solve in that um, high stress of an environment. But I never felt like a real artist, you know? I always felt like this this creative trapped in a body that didn't know how to use their hands, (laughs) you know? I just, I was like, I don't have a medium, you know? Um, And so the hats really started when I just, I made my own one time going to a festival and I really loved doing it and I felt like my style was a little bit different than some of the things you see out there because they're all covered in diamonds and I was more of a hand-painted type of person. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I just started making them with quarantine because I had nothing better to do and I'd always wanted to try to do it. And it's really like my skills have grown exponentially and I've had people ask for, you know, certain things that I don't know how to do, but I'll figure it out anyway. And that's really yeah. helped me level up. Yep. Um, I love doing that because it it forces you to think outside of your like normal creativity and do something different. And then you kind of gain new insight and a new skill. Exactly. It's been really great. I had somebody who wanted, um, because I also make uh, flannels that I'll sew um, t-shirts on the back of them. Super simple, but I'll use like some embroidery techniques or whatever. And somebody wanted a picture, like a painted picture of their dog. Now I don't really paint like every time I paint it's very abstract it's very you know yeah and so uh in order to get around this because I knew I wasn't going to be able to just paint a picture of a dog freehand I actually printed um the picture in black and white on a t-shirt beautiful sewed it on there and then I painted it with different like shades of purple and it I was so proud of it. I was like, it looks like a real painting. I was like, I'm an artist. You should should be, and you are. Yeah, Yeah. so that was the first time I really felt like a real artist was when I created that for somebody, and I was able to actually do something I didn't know that I had the skills to do. So That's so cool. That's awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, some of these artists I see in Miami, some of these like pop artists that will do similar things where they're just taking like some kind of print of some celebrity and then adding, like highlighting it in different ways and Mm -hmm. then adding some resin to it and selling it and people love that shit. And it's like, and you don't have to, it doesn't have to be some technical thing to be art yeah and and I think being in Miami and seeing some of that art that people are making here and selling and people are loving has kind of helped give me more permission to be like give a more wide interpretation of what art is and what it is to be an artist yeah Yeah. and it's funny that you say that because it helped me make the connection between uh how shitty I used to be to my teacher about like joking with her about what art really is and now I'm doing it to myself, you know? Right. So I know. It's very interesting. 
Yep. It's true. Um, yeah, I can, I can relate to the feeling that you felt when you're doing more stage managing and tour managing. Um, I felt that some with some of the festival creative directing work sometimes because it's like I was overseeing all of these projects, but I wasn't actually painting my own thing. I couldn't be like, I made this. You'd be like, I helped make this, but I didn't actually make hardly anything all on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it was hard to identify with being the artist. Um, and so I think, you know, sometimes reconnecting with some more personal art is a good reminder of, of that. Yeah. And I think the instigators really helped me bridge that gap um, mm-hmm. because I, you know, being a tour manager, like, yeah, you're managing, you know, an artist, but they're, you know, um, they're kind of in their own little world and you just help make their tour happen. Um, yeah. You know, managing, make stages, sure they get there. <laughs> yeah. Managing stages, you're managing all the production people, but this was the first time. I mean, the instigators has been a real struggle for me because it's the first time I've had to manage creatives um, who are totally. Yeah. For anybody. Oh, so the instigators, um, Mark actually came up with it originally and then it's kind of blossomed into this thing that like, you know, the girls kind of took over <laughs> and um, started, uh, you know, I mean, Mark's pretty busy with all of his other stuff too. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, and with my management skills and our uh, organizational skills, it just kind of fell into place. Just um, made sense. Yeah, it just made sense. We started to just kind of, you know, take the reins a little bit. And Mark um, helped creative direct a lot of the time, uh, which is great. Um, and so, he makes some ideas, we make it happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's been it's been a really great uh, relationship in that regard. And essentially what we do is we go to uh, different festivals and we do um, all kinds of different activities from face painting to talent shows to crafting to just random roaming weird shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Essentially, you know, when for anybody that like, understands Burning Man culture. Um, essentially, burners show up and they do something uh, like to give back to their uh, community. And that's essentially what we are doing is that we are the kids that were going to these festivals and we're just sh- coming and creating something that makes people feel connected, you know. Yeah, and so. we, we basically were already doing that for years. We were paying to do that for yeah. years <laughs> before finally creating this thing to where then we got paid to go do that, mm-hmm. which was a great transition. It was, it was. Yeah. So sometimes that consists of like, I guess, I'm trying to think of our smallest group, but maybe like six to like 10 people um that ellie is like managing and ruthie as well but i feel in the context of we're talking about ellie so yeah why don't you explain how that's developed from yeah all of your other management experience and now with yeah groups of creative people all kind of going in different directions at a yeah what's that like for you yeah um yeah i mean it's First of all, it was really great to be able to get my hands on a creative project like this. Um, You know, with, uh, I also get to come up with ideas. I'm not just the person that makes them happen. So that's really fun. And I also 
get to participate in a lot of the things, you know, some of the times I do have to take a step back and just manage when things are really, really busy, but I've gotten to learn how to face paint. I've gotten to do all kinds of just like semi-creative things that for, you know, me, I've never gotten to touch before. Mm -hmm. Um, But as in terms of like managing the transition between managing production people and artists is astronomical like I it's it's so difficult because um (laughs) creative people are just a little bit more sensitive um they need a little bit more uh I wouldn't necessarily call it coaching but they need a little bit more assurance you know like it's it's really hard to be vulnerable and put yourself out there and when you're asking someone to get on stage and be obnoxious and put themselves out there for 12 hours a day you have to give them a little bit more than I necessarily would normally with someone who's just running lights or someone who's just setting up the stage you know uh the environment where I come from is a little bit more cutthroat people are just kind of you know if if I don't talk to you it means that you're doing a good job (laughs) um and I learned very quickly uh with the instigators that I needed to that you know, sometimes people felt like I didn't like them and, or they felt like I didn't think they were doing a good job. And it's just because I wasn't saying anything. And so I, I, I think I really got to level up as a manager because I got to learn to work with people who needed a bit more from me, um, which was really great. And in like, in turn, uh, with my life after, um, especially Lost Lands that was really hard because we had like 15 people or yeah. something like that 17 I think oh jeez <laughs> it was a lot <laughs> uh, yeah it was it was a lot that festival was one of the hardest things I've ever done but I remember coming out of it and feeling like we really leveled up um, mm-hmm. as a group and as like uh, managers and yep. you know, just the way that we interact with each other and the way that and understanding each other's needs um, yep so yeah, I think like wor- working with creatives is a little bit more difficult because they need a little bit more from you. But I think that's really good in understanding how you know different people interact and mm-hmm. you know being aware of that and really learning how to work with different personality types. I think working working with um, creatives and with artists has been basically my niche at festivals and being that intermediary between artists and the powers that be. Um, has kind of been my thing and it's something that I am ever improving at Um, but something that I remember stuck with me I learned this from Kelly Webb and I think she got it from Nova Han and she used the term artist gloves you put on your artist gloves because artists are sensitive And (laughs) and then I think it was like production claws and then there were I I don't remember if the production claws were something that was from that or if we just came up with it is like the opposite of the artist gloves would be production claws because that's what you're referring to with like the more cutthroat industry backstage production people but with artists and creatives and yeah, if you're mo- trying to motivate them, you have to do it in a special, gentle, thought-through way, or you're not going to get the outcome that you want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I learned that pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> thrown into the deep end, you know, and I've always been a little bit softer than, uh, 
most people in production, especially like, and you know, it's hard because I have to be a little bit more cutthroat being a female in a male dominated yes. industry. You have Just to be a little bit more sharper. Yeah, yeah, you have to be a little sharper than some of the males. I was wanting to um, address a little bit of, like I know you mentioned, um, like in your earlier production days, working as like a woman was, yeah, like a challenge in a variety of ways. And also with the switch, which we haven't mentioned yet, but so among the other things that Ellie and Ruthie have both done, um, part of it is costuming the entire group. And so we get paid to, instead of like, if, if you work in production, you wear all black, but as the instigators were wearing these bright and colorful outfits. So, so it's like a two point question of like one, working as a woman in the industry, like how that has like affected you or different challenges. And then also switching to this like bright, colorful, like position where you're like managing but you get to like express yourself in this way that's like opposite from before what was that like yeah so uh <laughs> being a female in the industry i mean i am very lucky because being in seattle there are a lot of women in seattle that are working um there are a lot of really respectful uh men who you know like we got some badass women here and <laughs> it's pretty awesome um but there's definitely been times where like, I've noticed, you know, I just have to work a little bit harder, you know? And I've noticed like, I, I'll never forget because I thought this way too towards this girl who was one of her first times on a job and she showed up with her hair down. And I remember like in my head feeling like annoyed that like she put makeup on and put her, wore her hair down. But then I was thinking like, no, because I wish I would do that, but I just don't because I, I know the politics and I know that if you show up, like, you know, done up, they, people don't respect you because they don't think you're there to work, you know what I mean? And so um, those things definitely, like, carry through, especially when, uh, when trying to transition to something a little bit more creative. I've always been, like, people... <laughs> I've always been made fun of by the guys because I've always been a little bit weird, you know, um, one year, uh, the older, the older ones are usually really, uh, cool. Um, mm -hmm. one year I stage managed with, uh, one of the older guys that does stage management and he works down at the EMP. Um, and <laughs> he let me wear my rainbow fur coat the whole time. And like, we were chilling. It was one of the most fun times I've ever had because we were on one of the side stages and like the stakes weren't as high and you know um but I've noticed like with especially like the younger generation because so many people want to work in the industry you have to you know conduct yourself in a certain way and especially with you know a lot of the um things that come out uh of some of these tours you know you hear about like sexual assaults and stuff like that it's you definitely like it's definitely difficult to get hired to get onto a bus where you're going to be isolated with all these dudes um as a female because it's it's from a pr standpoint that's a really scary position to put somebody in um mm -hmm. but i've always had a really great um support system especially with max like i he sent me on the road and always like i've always felt like i could call him if you know i was going a little bit crazy you know mm -hmm. uh, so he's always been great um, yeah, but kind of like the subtle message is like you don't need to like try to look pretty and it's safer to like look kind of as simple as possible so that yeah is yeah better that way and people take you more seriously you know like yeah. I've I've definitely walked into um, 
I've walked into a venue once and <laughs> I was pointed directly to the merch booth. And that's happened a few times um, where mm-hmm. I've come in as a tour manager and they, they go, the merch booth's there. And I'm like, no, I'm the tour manager. And then they get all weird about it. And it's like, you know, I, I'm used to it. <laughs> uh, I'm used to it. I don't, I don't care at this point. I've never gotten angry. Um, yeah. I feel like that's a really big, uh, I feel like that's a really big part in um, being able to make it is like, yes, you should get angry in when there's injustice, but when someone, when there's like a slight prejudice and it's literally like that in the entire industry, like, you know, correct More of an them. indoctrination. Yeah, correct them in your work, you know, yeah. show them yeah. like, look at how well I'm working regardless of what you thought of me when I walked in the door. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I try to just kind of, you know, and I've gained respect in that manner is just by, you know, working just as hard and, you know, yeah. not shying away from the heavy lifting and stuff like yeah. that, you know. And it's, so, yeah. Oh, it's it's interesting that you you can't look too pretty because that means that you're not there to work, but you also can't show up looking like too frumpy, you know, or underdressed, like, you have to find this, like, happy medium of caring, but not too much. (laughs) I've I've been told that I was too pretty to be a stagehand before, Uh. (laughs) and I remember just being like, why does that have to be, like, a prerequisite to anything? Um, (laughs) You just need to fit. A weird, <laughs> yeah. like, what? Yeah. that would make my job a lot easier a <laughs> <bit> uglier. <laughs> i'd yeah. probably be better at my job too if i was uglier you know mm-hmm. like obviously Obvi- um, i mean that's how it works that's just that's the the graph on things yeah, yeah. it is i feel um, really fortunate that like ruthie and i um like in a different side of production um have worked for two women um, and on a team of mostly women. And I would say pretty fabulous women, actually. Our yeah. bosses like regularly like do their yeah. makeup and they dress really cute too. So it's it's, yep. it's really interesting for me to hear like, um, though we are working in different parts of the festival, obviously, or yeah. music events. Different parts um, of the industry. Different yeah, parts and- of the industry. <laughs> but I, I love, I love that just knowing that they like, set that like a totally different precedent yes. and I, I love yeah. that they like created that space so shout out to Anna and Grace because yes they are some fabulous ladies who look good and get a lot of shit done <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's it's, right it's yeah. really cool to have been able to see that too like I I um it was definitely a hard transition for me. I mean, don't get me wrong, like the people who always managed me, even though they were males, uh, they've always been, you know, super accepting. And like, even though I would get made fun of a little bit, it was, it was never like, uh, it was, they, they would call me the Wook of Mormon because I'm ex-Mormon um, oh. and I'm kind of a Wook. And so I'd show up, <laughs> like, I'd still be in all black, but I'd like have some bright colored shoes on, right? like, you know, do something weird with my hair. And so, you know, I've always kind of been like that and they've always been really accepting of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was definitely a really hard thing to deal with when transitioning to working with the instigators because I, uh, I had never been like that. Like I was a little embarrassed. I remember um, when we worked at the Gorge uh, because that's where I kind of started doing all of my festivals and stuff. Yeah. When I worked there, I felt a little embarrassed walking into the production office because I was so used to 
being there as a production person and I knew all of the people that were working and so walking around in these you know outfits I just like I definitely was embarrassed and it was because I had never um I'd worked so hard to be uh so neutral um and to kind of like yeah, we're work within that status quo. And I, I didn't want, I, I was already kind of the black sheep, like the little weirdo rave kid mm-hmm. that happened to make it <laughs> in the industry. Look at so. me now. I'm even weirder. Exactly. Yeah. And so some people were really like, uh, put off by it, but some people really received it really well. Like it was really fun to see some of these dudes that I had worked with for years. I mean, um, Gary Ford, he was the one that brought us our audio. Um, and he hung out in the tent and was so proud of me. He's like, I'm so proud of you. This is so cool. And it was really sweet because like, um, I definitely had a couple of people that came over and hung out in our space and were really, um, proud to see because I mean they always knew I was more of a creative person than mm-hmm. you know being in all black standing backstage and so yeah I think it was really cool to see some of my coworkers that I was really shy to show that side of myself to be really yep. excited about um me doing that so. yeah that's also, really cool for anybody that doesn't know these things that we're talking about uh the gorgeous venue in Washington that's really beautiful and the instigators we worked um an event called above and beyond um was it what was the group therapy 360 weekender yes group therapy group therapy okay thank you thank you um anyways yeah we worked that last week and so in the like camp last week last year um and then in the the camping area we had a um a pretty large tent where we had like a library where people could come and take um, books that Ellie and Mark um, and their team at Noise Complaint had collected. And then we also had like a DJ set at one point and then late night crafting and face painting and glitter. And it was this whole thing where we did the decor and then we also activated that space and we also wandered around the festival. So we, we, yeah, we were doing a lot of different things. And it was awesome. And they loved it, and they want us back for the next one. So that's right. <laughs> that was one of my favorite events that we did last year. It was mm-hmm. when people asked us like what it was like. I was like, it was you know, just a lot of yoga and hugging your friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Basically, what I there were a couple of times during it, and we were sitting there watching, and I was like, is this is this how you become a trance? Trans fan? Is this how it happens? Yep. And I yeah, definitely. I see the allure. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Like Anduna, um, like radio on YouTube, all kinds of stuff. Like I'm, I'm in it now. You're <laughs> activated. <laughs> yeah. <I've been> <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, I love it. Good. Yeah. So currently you are doing interior design school, which I think is so cool. And as soon as the pandemic happened, one of my first thoughts was I've always really tried to think, I always thought that it was going to be like AI that came and stole all of our jobs, Mm -hmm. not the pandemic. So I was wrong (laughs) on that. Um, But I have always kind of tried to think with this like forward thinking, like, 
having a job that is not so easily, you know, taken away by something. And all um, jobs, creative jobs are hard to take away. Creative jobs are really hard to take away, everyone. So <laughs> that's why we want everybody to activate all their creative juices because we know you all have them and get a creative job because that's the future. Yeah, um, but your creative stuff. Yeah, that's true. That's mm -hmm. right. But you can also do creative stuff on computers. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyways, people are spending time in their homes and I know that like home improvement has been off the charts recently because people are, um, you know, they're like faced with their home. They weren't really there ever before and now they're there all the time and they want it to be pretty and they want it to be nice. And so I think interior design is something that you really can't automate and you're always going to need. And right now in the age of people returning to their homes, is a great career especially with all of like so many jobs that will never go back to the office mm -hmm. and people creating home offices and you know the the power of having like a nice clean organized crisp space is more powerful than i think a lot of people realize and i think people are kind of waking up to that and um and you're here to help them with it yeah, um, I love that you uh, ended the question, kind of, was it a question, um, that, you, that yeah. you ended it like that, because um, that's kind of my goal with interior design, is um, I think the environment is everything, you know, um, I have been very lucky uh, to get out of um, poverty because I of where I was placed in after, you know, going through something really difficult. Um, and I really contribute a lot of my um, success to the environment that I got to be around and the people that I've been able to meet and just the way that I've been able to feel. And if you have a good environment and you feel safe, you have the energy and the ability to inspire, to you know, make your dreams happen, to be as tenacious as I've gotten to be. And um, I have this dream of really creating beautiful spaces for people who don't necessarily um, feel that outside of their home, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Um, so being able to, you know, it, when you barely have the money to um, survive, the last thing you're going to think of is, uh, the last thing you're going to think about is um, like how to make your environment feel good. You know, it's, it's an extra thing that you can't, um, yeah, you don't really yeah. think about. And so I, I really want to bring that to other people. I want to create that for other people. Um, yeah. Yeah. Essentially um, I want to create spaces and environments that are conducive to um, creative growth. And mm -hmm. I want to bring those to people who don't typically get that. You know, you always find beautiful spaces and rich people's homes, but um, mm -hmm. being able to create that for somebody who can't afford it themselves is really something that I'm passionate about. So, Well, I love you. You posted something recently about uh, recreating somebody's space with the things that they already have. Mm. And um, right. That was you that posted so. that. <laughs> I, I, I think post a lot. Yeah. It's a really I good think, idea. I, I think it was, and it was kind of like, hey, working on my creative, you know, interior design, and like, if you have a space, let me recreate it with like the things that you already have. And I love that idea of um, stretching 
is I, a book that I have yet to read, but I plan on it. I just listened to a podcast from Brene Brown and they were talking about the book Stretch and it was just about basically working with what you have versus chasing, which is like, oh, well, I'll be happy when I have this or I can make this look this way when I have this specific rug or when I have these specific curtains or something like that instead of just working with what you have. Yeah, and I think that's a huge skill. And it's 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 more rewarding too. Um, for example, I actually have a friend coming over today because I have this couch. It's this like ugly old IKEA couch, um, but it pulls out and has a bed and everything. So it's like it's just a really and it's a, a sectional, like an L-shaped sectional um, that mm-hmm. fits in the space, which my space is very small, and so it's a great couch. But uh, I just don't like it very much. Yeah. And so what we're doing is we're um, taking all of the cushion off of the arms and just wrapping them in a thin piece of wood and staining that so that it looks brand new. And then on the bottom edge, I'm taking um, the stick-on wallpaper that I found that's like a dark watercolor floral um, and sticking it on the end and making, basically building myself a custom couch out of a free couch that I got. Um, and it's costing me $40. Um, to get the wood and the stain and the wallpaper and I took all the cushions off and just uh, threw a bunch of throw pillows on it and it's my dream bohemian couch so I love that yeah um I redid this mirror the other day that I found like my neighbor was giving it away and then just did like we did music festivals and sanded it down and painted it and like well, actually this is way cooler than anything I could buy and I got it for free and I used paints I already had and I bedazzled it like who else is going <laughs> to bedazzle this mirror other than exactly me? yeah exactly mm-hmm. I'm I'm impressed by your buy nothing groups that you speak of I tried yeah. to find one in Miami I couldn't find one for my local area but huh. maybe I need to look harder make my own. No, what is that? I'm not really familiar with that. Yeah, so Buy Nothing is basically a gifting community. Um, They pretty, I think they pretty much have them all over. Oh, I bet Austin for sure has one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's very vanilla here. (laughs) Yeah, and you can register one too, so if your area doesn't have one, you can like go onto their website and register one. Mm -hmm. They also have um, a group that I just found and I just, uh, um, jumped onto and it's a travel one so if you're traveling to a different area you can post um things that you might need and then uh as a person who lives in that area you can comment if you have them wow yeah which is really really cool um and so the whole idea is that like you know yeah you can donate things to the goodwill but you know it's so much better if you just share with your neighbors um, yeah. and I've gotten some really great plants uh those are the that's most what fun. I want yeah I, I got I've gotten a, po- a polka dotted begonia like angel wing begonia I have um what else do I have I got an avocado tree like one of the I small saw like, that. ones yep um I've gotten something else too oh I got a uh Thai basil plant wow. from Buy Nothing. This, so this feels like a, a like I want to pause and put like a header a new header on this Ellie is like a very experienced plant mama and <laughs> feels like that is a, another creative outlet of yours. Yeah. Yeah, I love them. They're my babies. Actually, mm-hmm. last night I got a rhubarb plant, so mm-hmm. I'm really excited to um, get it into its new home today. Yeah. Um, 
yeah so uh yeah buy nothing's amazing um i have a uh i got a grill off there the other day too a grill nice. yeah like a charcoal grill wow so, so yeah. only thing we didn't have on our deck how can you have a lake house without a grill i know <laughs> i want i want to be part of i want in on the group buy nothing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, we just gotta look a little bit harder for you, right? Yeah. Impressed. Somebody in my like Miami RC areas, surely. Oh, no, I'm sure. Anything. They like yeah. free stuff. Yeah. yeah, they do. Yeah, that's they why do. I always let people know. Like, if someone's looking for something specific, to let me know because mm-hmm. uh, my area is a pretty rich area, so people give away really nice stuff. Nice, really uh, good shit. Yeah. So whenever anyone like, I know someone who got their car off of by now. Yeah, they got a Subaru off by nothing. Wow. Yeah. Damn. Wild. You know, it's just, I mean, if I had the money, I'd probably be like, yeah, here's, you know, like my truck. It's kind of like worn down, but like it runs. Take it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So. Well, they probably probably want it. If they're just giving away a car, they probably just want it to go away. Yeah. Same with like, I have a bunch of random computers sitting around and it's probably more work for me to try to sell them individually than it would be to give it to somebody who would actually use it. That was my next question. Have you, so I know you've gotten things from people have, what have you gifted on buy nothing or have you? Yeah. Yeah. I've gifted a lot of things. Um, a lot of furniture, uh, Mm -hmm. those are harder to get rid of because people, um, you know, people have to have it fit in their space. And when things pop up, it's not like they were planning on it. Um, But I gave away our dining room table. So I got, we had this like little tiny one that only two people could sit at and I got rid of it and got like a bar cart to put stuff on. Um, And then I gave away, this was most hard for me, but my Burma composting bin. Mm. Um, I used it for about a year and a half, um, but I just got really lazy with it. It does take a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, gifted it to somebody who was really, really excited. Apparently she had been researching vermicomposting for like a year and like still hadn't committed to it. So when I posted that I was getting rid of it on Vinyl. It was her time. Yes. Yep, it was her time. Good so. her. <laughs> exactly. Um, a lot of craft supplies. Sometimes I'll buy things Ooh. that just don't really work for me. And then yeah. yep. those are fun because you get a lot of like, you get to gift to a lot of kids, especially when uh, the pandemic hit, you had a lot of people posting in there like, hey, if anybody has anything, you know, activities for my kids. And I have a lot of stuff. I love like buying fun, weird stuff and then I never end up using it. And so I just put it all in a bag and gave it to some lady who had a couple kids. And, you know, it's really cute because they'll post like in the group um, pictures of what their kids are making. with Cute. Yeah. Yeah. So how has your house changed since you've um, started studying interior design? I heard you changed the, the table for a bar cart. Was that an interior design inspired choice or just? Um, it was actually, this was before I went into school and it was actually more of a, uh, we wanted to turn Mark's little studio into kind of like a party zone. And so I bought yeah. this bar cart. And then, like, that room is so tiny, like, super, super tiny, mm-hmm. and we just couldn't really fit it in there, and this cart just kind of hung out, and I was like, you know what, we're just going to get rid of the table and put the bar cart here, and okay. then I put it, I put it there, and it worked out way better. I swapped mm-hmm. out, um, we used to have this really, we still have it, we kept it because it's really cool, it's teak, and it's, like, really, really uh, big, um, and it's, the legs fold in, it's a tea table, uh-huh. um, and it was our, um, our coffee table for a long time. So, yeah. Bless you. <laughs> uh, so we 
swapped that out for a round. I found like a round um, marble top table mm-hmm. at a thrift store for oh, three nice. bucks. Uh, yeah. Actual marble? Uh, I think it's fake marble, okay. but it feels That's like fair. real marble. Yeah, and it's That's heavy, good. like real marble. <laughs> so I mean, it's pretty close. But yeah, it's round, so it makes a lot more sense in the space. We got yeah. I mo- I moved the rug because I uh, interior design tip. <laughs> yes, no, give us um, some interior design tips. Yeah, love- so this one's really actually really like smart and really great, and it's the first thing I did in my house. Was that if you have an area rug, it either needs to be small enough that it's just under a specific item, or it needs to be big enough that it comes to like. Uh, six inches to a foot out of off the edge of the room if that makes sense so like some what I had was a rug that just was too small for the room and it ended up making the room look smaller Mm -hmm. um, because it took one section and colored it when the rest of you know it just made it look busy and but if I had a rug that I sectioned off a whole half of the room with it would have made it look bigger Um, and so what I did was I moved that small rug to the entryway and now the entryway looks huge and the living room looks a lot bigger. And so that was really cool to me to learn that little trick um, about yeah. rugs. So yeah, yeah, nice rug hacks. Yeah, <laughs> rug hacks. <laughs> we need them. Um, we do. <laughs> what other interior design hacks do you have? Yeah. Oh, geez. Um, I mean, I like to use, because I have a small space, I like to use everything. I go vertical with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I actually made these sconces out of driftwood. Oh, so cool. I took a piece of driftwood and I just uh, draped a, um, a bulb holder over the top mm-hmm. and I put an Edison bulb in it and I wrapped it with uh, embroidery floss. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and you just... And that way it's on the wall so it doesn't really take up any space um you know like i got a round table specifically because the um the traffic when you're going into Mm -hmm. the couch and out of the couch you can go like this instead Mm -hmm. of just like stumbling over yourself so smart yeah Yeah, Yeah, little things like that as i started to really think about how the space um, yeah and how you interact with your environment and what yeah. makes sense because a lot of the times you have things in your environment that you know they're they're useful but you don't really interact with them in the way that you you know, think maybe it looks good there but you're not thinking about how you're interacting with it exactly like is it you know is it useful how does it feel mm-hmm. yeah and I mean how something feels is really more important than how it looks so. yeah totally yeah yeah gotta get the the chi flowing in your room have you done any or have read any about like feng shui in your interior? Um, there's actually a class uh, that I hope to take soon. Um, mm-hmm. This quarter, I'm taking one about um, how to design to bridge gaps in uh, inequality. So, Ooh. which is right up my alley. I'm super excited about it. Um, but yeah, I think the qu- next quarter after that, I'm going to take the feng shui class. Oh. I try to take one each quarter. How are you designing to bridge gaps in inequality? Like, I've got to know. Well, I'll <laughs> have to let you know later because, yeah. you know, the, it's a whole class on it. But, um, you know, uh, one of the things we learned about in our intro to interiors was, um, so they were designing seating areas that had floors where the texture of the floor changed before you walked into the seating area 
so that a blind person using a stick could feel that they were going to go into an area that was more of a like sit down with furniture and stuff area because the texture of the floor changed. Wow. And so that was really interesting to like think about yeah. that kind of a thing. Yeah, making things more accessible for people. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I've never thought about that. Also speaking of accessibility, I love that that girl reposted that time where we, we helped her get through the crowd as the instigators to um, that show at Moonrise. Oh, did she repost that recently? It was like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was it was pretty That fun. was very special. Yeah, yeah. There was a, a girl in a wheelchair who needed to get to the ADA um booth because she really wanted to see um I think it was Tiesto. Tiesto. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and she'd met a guy that day who just was like head over heels for her and thought she was the best. And anyway, so then they asked us No, like, I think that I think the guy that was with her is like her partner. No, he was uh. new. Really? They had met there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. my god, that's amazing. Yeah, no, because I, I remember specifically talking to him about it, and yeah, they, they had just met, and he was like, okay, oh, it was amazing, but um, all right, all right. Yeah, no, they needed to get through a crowd, and if anybody knows anything about Tiesto, he is a headliner, so that's a really <laughs> dense, dense crowd, so they had us as the instigators kind of like making some room in sort of like a dance train fashion. Parade. Parade, yeah, we made a parade, a big celebration out of it and got this girl to the ADA booth. And oh, As Rob Lane called it, it was a parade <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, I feel like that was really, I mean, obviously it was a pretty memorable experience for her. She reposted it a year later. Yeah, oh yeah, no, it was definitely memorable for her. Um, that was, that was awesome. And definitely nice to, something I would like to do more of that someday yeah. when there's events again. Yes. Yeah. So Ellie, do you have um, some, mm -hmm. what advice would you give? Because I would say at this point you are off living a successful, yeah. creative, independent, authentic lifestyle. And there are a lot of people at home right now that um, are really faced with a lot of questions and maybe want to pursue something a little more creative, um, maybe a little more authentic to themselves and for whatever reason haven't yet. What is your advice to them? Oh man, honestly, like I have tried so many different things. I have so many different hobbies. It's kind of annoying. Um, I, I relate. I, I do about 40 different things and I'm not good at all of them. You don't have to be good. You, you just have to no. feel good, you mm -hmm. know? And that's what's really important. Um, and I like just do whatever piques your interest until you find something that works for you, you know? It's, it's okay to have a million different hobbies. It's okay to not monetize all of your hobbies. Like I have monetized a couple of mine, but you don't have to. It's not necessary that you make, you know, your money back on the investment that you put into feeling good, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, that's a really important tip, I think. Yeah, I see a lot of people kind of like 
derailing themselves from something that could be really enriching by needing to justify it financially or something yeah. like where you, you could never, you wouldn't know until you do it, all the positive ways that it can impact your life that are just yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I know that sometimes certain hobbies can be inaccessible to other people, but especially through like this buy nothing group, I, I got like a candle making set once because I really wanted to learn how to make candles. And so I started there or like, you know, with interior design, I used what I had um, or I went to a thrift store or sometimes if you go on marketplace, they've got free stuff all the time. Mm. Um, I learned how to work with plants because I found I would dig up plants outside and replant pop them in my house and like just kind of I mean that's how they ended up in our house in the first place you know somebody was like I want this inside and just brought it in Um, and so you can you don't have to you know do some of these things in the way that like social media shows them either Um, it's all your own journey Um, and then in terms for like people who actually want to make a creative career it sounds really cliche but fake it till you make it like seriously like even if I didn't feel like I belonged in that facet of what I was doing if I like didn't think I knew what I was talking about I just like in my soul (laughs) pretended like I did and was like you got this like and eventually I woke up and I had it, you know what I mean? Because I just kept trying and I kept, you know, I kept acting like I knew, I I understood what was going on in my life. Really, it was a crazy mess and it was all over the place. And then one day it just made sense. Um, And it's because through that faking it, I wasn't just faking it. I was learning, you know, I was, I was, it, it's not faking the knowledge. It's faking the confidence. Um, And that's what some people don't understand is they, yeah. you know, feel like an imposter because they're faking yep. it, but you're not faking it. You're, you're, you're lying okay. to yourself that you, uh, you know, I, I tell myself, even though I don't feel like a badass bitch, I'm constantly telling myself I am so that I can do the things that I want to do. Otherwise, you know, I would just kind of crumble under my own head. So exactly yeah a question I actually just put it in a painting but just like is it helpful like if you're trying to start a new thing and like for me sometimes honesty is a big thing where I'm like well I can't be dishonest I can't be dishonest that I know this like when I don't um but it's like well is it helpful is it going to be helpful for you to be like hey by the way I just have I have no idea I just show, I showed up here I'm barely scraping by, or like, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you could do that. Or yeah, you could like try to bring your most confident, most like, um, yeah, capable self that isn't necessarily going to lie if someone is like uh, asking you a direct question. You could, but it's also the phrasing, it's like marketing and PR, like I'm yeah. learning, I am growing right now. And it doesn't have to be like dishonest, but the one is clearly this one is gonna help yeah. Uh, yeah. a lot yeah. more than, than the barely scraping by. One gets your foot in the door, really. Like, um, mm-hmm. I'll never forget uh, my first time setting up CDJs. I Max was this was 
one of our first shows we ever worked together and he set him up and goes hope you were paying attention because you're setting him up tomorrow morning and I was like jeez um and so he knew that I had no freaking idea what I was doing like he, he knew what he was doing um but I was like okay yeah and I went home and I went home and I printed out the manual and I straight up brought it with me and put it on the DJ decks and slowly went through the manual and set it up like that and even though it was clear that I did not know what I was doing, I came in and I, yeah, I came in and I showed like, I'm willing to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And so that's the whole point in fake it till you make it is like, yeah, you may not know what you're doing and it's okay for people to see that you're learning, but as long as they, it's, don't show the side of you not understanding, show the side of you figuring out how to do it. Yeah, that's exactly good difference. (laughs) Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. Love that. Super love that. Yeah, yeah, the difference between, um, there's a book called like growth mindset, but I think probably the opposite is like victim mindset, likely. I can't remember what it is in the book, but yeah, always trying to like focus on how you're like growing in each situation is really the best way to kind of get through it. And even, yeah, like, like that positioning inside of your mind is probably the most important place to really affirm to yourself that, yeah, this is a learning opportunity. Yeah, I always try to um, remind myself, like, when I think something is bad, um, Mm -hmm. I don't think that anything is, that happens to me is bad. I think that things can be hard. Yeah. You know, and I try to remember that, like, there are no bad things, there are only hard things. Mm -hmm. Um, Hard things to deal with, hard, you know, relationships to go through, hard moments in your life, but in the end, those are the things that shape you and those are like the reason I am who I am today and able to do the things that I am is because I've gone through a lot of hard things Mm. and you know it's it's all about the way that your perspective and how you look at things is uh, what you're going to get out of it absolutely I love it Mm. so Ellie where can we find you and support you on the internet Oh, geez. (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm finally starting to get my life together after this summer. I traveled a bit this summer, um, which was really nice. Uh, I did a lot of road trips, and um, I just got back from Susha Island, which is the smallest island in the San Juans. It's like basically Canada, Uh, and the bioluminescence was beautiful. Oh, my God. Amazing. I went paddle boarding in, in, like, pitch black, and I was like, it looked like my board was lit up. It was so wow, cool. wow, nature, yeah. Um, yeah. So um, <laughs> I, I've been slacking a little bit on my Etsy page, but um, for my art, I typically post all of that on my Lost and Profound page, um, mm-hmm. and it's literally just Lost and Profound uh, spelled name. out. Um, thanks. Mark mm-hmm. came up with it actually. Oh, of course he did. <laughs> yeah. He's so good at word stuff. He's so good at word stuff. Among others. Yes. <laughs> He's good at a lot of things. Yeah. Um, it's because I was writing poetry at the same time that I was, mm. you know, and I wanted to integrate some of that poetry. Inside all of my hats, there's quotes in the inside. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's what he came up with. And yeah, it's great. So yeah, um, my Lost and Profound page, um, I have a Facebook page and an Instagram. I use the Instagram a little bit more. Um, I'm just starting to get my life together on Etsy um, 
but if someone's interested in something I do, I love doing uh, commissions more than I like just making random stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes me feel more connected to a person. So yeah, um, yeah, and then, yeah. So what is your is your name on Etsy? Lost and Profound as well. Uh, yeah, it's Lost and Profound PNW on Etsy. So yeah. well, everybody, if you want some really cool custom artwork in the form of a hat or a parables <laughs> shirt. Yes shirt yeah. jacket custom dog. she can put your animal she on it, it. Yeah. She, can. <laughs> she will figure out a way to make it awesome yeah. um and then if yeah. anyone wants to see all the things that i cook yeah. <laughs> my personal page is disco technics spelled mm-hmm. like uh the turntables technics um all one word so mm-hmm. yeah i that's my personal page but the other stuff i post all my art on so fantastic love it well, thank you so much, Ellie. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I think your your journey has been, yeah, so insightful for me. I love learning more about you. <laughs> I'm just so impressed by, yeah, your, like, tenacity. It feels like really like a scrappy kind of spirit where, like, when, <laughs> like first, you know, just, like, meeting you, someone met you. I don't know if they would, like, pick up on that initially because you seem, like, very very sweet but don't <laughs> be fooled everyone she's a woman on a mission also i've got production claws underneath these yeah. that's right claws. there's <laughs> levels to it <laughs> all right well thank you Ellie. thank you so much for listening we are really grateful to you all for taking the time If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, like and comment, and share with anyone who you think might benefit from this. And if you have any questions or you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at creativelifehackers. You could shoot us an email at creativelifehackers at gmail.com or come to our website creativelifehackers.com our intro and outro is by joseph mcdade you can find at josephmcdade.com